Good morning. We are uh, in this sermon series and at the very tail end of the sermon series entitled, I Will Worship. Uh, we've been using this quote from Don Carson that I've repeated several times. It's, I feel like it's so good and hopefully it brings us into the mindset of what the passage is talking about here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's where we'll end up. But Don Carson writes that worship is the proper response of all moral, of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God, precisely because he is worthy and delightfully so. With those words uh, on our minds, uh, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer and uh, just kind of be in the right mindset as we approach today's text. Father God, we are incredibly grateful to be gathering together as a family of believers, lifting our hands in worship, bowing our hearts, bowing our minds, and bowing our, our knees even in honor of who you are. And I pray, Father, that as we open your word, I pray that this will also be a time of worship, that, that our mindset uh, can be directed towards who you are to give you the glory and honor that you deserve. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about a pastor and his wife who spent a few days at a retreat center for ministry couples. They enjoyed the walks through the ranch and they drove around some of the remote areas of the area there. And, but there was this one section of the ranch that was really interesting. There was just a, a number of llamas. And it was really interesting to see how they behaved as the pastor drove his car towards them. They would be grazing and they would raise their heads high, and they would just walk right towards the car. Some of them even blocked their path. He writes, we weren't sure if they were just curious or trying to pick a fight, right? A sheep rancher once told him that coyotes killed the lambs of the llamas. And they tried everything they could to stop them. But then she realized that if she just added these llamas to her, her pack, the llamas would just stand up straight and walk at these coyotes. And the coyotes would freak out. The aggressive behavior kind of made these coyotes concerned. And they wouldn't have anything to do with these little lambs. I read about a Texas rancher who met up with a dairy farmer. The farmer was bragging about how he operates 125 acres of land. The rancher, seeking to one-up the farmer, said sometimes he'd get in his truck and he would drive all day until sunset before he finally reached the end of his land. So the farmer wasn't very impressed with that, so he responded, yeah, uh, my truck has trouble at times as well. Thank you. 
I tell you those stories because they have a lot to do with posture. The American culture has this view of exceptionalism. Is Lisa still giggling at it? No, no, she's embarrassed by it. All right. American exceptionalism, right? I believe it's hindered our ability to truly worship God. Because I think that our culture has taught us in view of something that's different to just kind of get your head up high and walk straight at it, be confident, be secure. Do we constantly want to one-up our neighbors in an effort to look stronger or better or even more successful? How does our culture affect the way that we approach and worship God? To be honest, the culture has played a role, but poor posture as we approach God dates back to the beginning of time. Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and what did he say? He said, if you eat of this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, what? You will be like God. Equality with God is certainly not a good posture to stand before our creator God. And if you remember, Abel offered a sacrifice of faith to God while Cain did not. That was just a long history of the battle that man would have with God that deals specifically with posture. Jesus told a very interesting parable. He said that one day at, at church, there was a time of prayer. And one man, he grew up religious and confident in his own righteousness, and he stood tall before God. He beat his chest, and he said, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like those sinners, the robbers, the sexually immoral, and of course those tax collectors. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But but Jesus said, in contrast, a tax collector stood at a distance and we're told that he couldn't even look upwards as he beat his chest, crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus tells us that that man, that man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. He said, because all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves with, will be exalted. It's within this context that we approach 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul says to Timothy, I want men everywhere to lift up their holy hands in prayer without anger 
or disputing. Verse 9. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braiding of hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, this passage is taken out of a larger context of Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul is giving his younger brother instructions on how the community should gather together to worship God. His concern is not to dictate a list of do's and don'ts, but to give Timothy a picture of what it should look like when God's people gather. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 18, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus had just finished telling his disciples that they needed to get along, that there shouldn't be any conflict. And if there was, resolve it. Therefore, within the context of 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think Paul is saying, when you pray, when you gather as a community, Men and women alike should consider their holy standing before God and their holy standing within each other. Look again. He says, men, raise your hands, not just hands, your holy hands. He uses the term without dispute, without anger, to the women, he says, with modesty and good, good deeds. Do not all of these things point to a posture of worship as we gather? A posture between you and me and a posture between me and God. After church one Sunday, Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's home. Every interaction we have of Jesus and the Pharisees seem to be bad. Maybe this one starts out pretty good. How about some Sunday dinner at Simon's house, the Pharisee? Luke's gospel records that when they had finished eating, they were reclining at the table, and a woman approached Jesus from behind. She had this large jar of perfume, and she opened it. Can you smell the perfume as she opens it? She weeps loudly, and her tears, they fall down her face and upon Jesus' feet because her posture is right there at his feet. Simon, uh, he saw all this happen. He saw the tears roll down. He saw her take her hair down and wipe his feet with her hair. He saw as she anointed Jesus' feet with this perfume. Simon saw all this happen and he scoffed. He said if Jesus really knew, and if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who this woman is and that she is a sinner. He scoffed. And Jesus doesn't address Simon here. Look, look at what the passage says happened. He turned to the woman and he said, Simon, 
Do you see this woman? You see, I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with tears and she wiped it with her hair. I would have added gross, but Jesus didn't, right? You didn't give me a greeting with a kiss, but this woman, since the time she entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't greet me with oil to bless me, but she poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, that her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little loves little. Did you hear what Jesus was saying? He said, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't bless me with oil. Why in the world... Would Simon have invited Jesus to his house? What? You didn't greet him? You didn't bless him? You didn't clean his feet? Why did he even invite him there? And why was this woman allowed in his home? You think she picked the lock? Does Simon even realize? And this is the hard one. Does Simon even realize that he is in the presence of God incarnate? He's right there, God's only son. So go back to the text. Is Paul commanding men to raise their hands when they worshiped? Not a lot of you guys did. I'm not sure it's a command as much as a, a posture. Can we stand in some form of vulnerable state before God with our sins laid bare? Can we stand in that way before God? Do we need to be best friends with everyone who gathers on Sunday morning? <laughs> no, it's a posture. How do you view the people on your right and your left? Are they people that shouldn't even be here? <laughs> are they friends who are also standing in this vulnerable state and repentance knowing Jesus has made us right before God. And as you read on in the text, I think Paul is commanding the same for women. Your dress, your behavior, they should show vulnerability to God. A vulnerability that's full of repentance. Your words should respect the holiness of God as we gather. Listen to Jesus' words again. Did you wash my feet? No. You didn't greet me with a kiss. 
You didn't bless me with oil? What did you expect when you gathered here this morning in this gathering? Did you know that the presence of Jesus is here right now? And he's asking us the same question, how we treat one another and as how we stand before the king. Can you imagine what our gathering would look like if everyone realized that God himself, the spirit of the resurrected Christ, is within our presence right now? Why would we even show up if all we're going to do is criticize one another and put a veil as we stand before God? Why? Why even show up? There was a man who was walking through an art gallery and he came upon a picture of Jesus. The picture was Jesus dying on the cross. And the man just stopped and he looked at this beautiful, beautiful portrait of Calvary. He stared at the face of Christ, so full of agony. And the gallery guard tapped him on the shoulder and said, lower. The artist painted this picture to be appreciated from a, a lower position. So the man bent down. And, and from his lower position, he did. He noticed there was more beauty. And the, the card said, lower. He got on his knee. And he was impressed again. Wow, this is, this is full of beauty. Lower, the guard said. And he got down on both knees. He looked up. It's posture. Posture as we come together to realize the fullness of the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's all about posture. How do you love your friends? And how do you stand before God? Much has been made in scholarly circles about the direct application of this passage. But to be honest, most of their words are about how others should behave in church. You women, you should wear. You men, stop fighting. I don't know. <laughs> As I read the text, you know what I see? How I should behave. how I need to have the right posture as I stand before God, how I need to have the right pasture, posture with my brothers and sisters, how I need to have the right posture as I stand before the presence of the resurrected king. We need to consider that posture when we sing this next song that will lead us into a time where we will take a cup that reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ. As we take a bread 
that reminds us of the body of Christ. Let's skip past the do's and don'ts for a minute and just look at our posture before God. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly in your presence, asking that those that have wronged us, we will forgive, asking those that we have wronged, we will seek that reconciliation, Lord. Father, we stand in a vulnerable state here, being honest to you about our sins, because we know we can't fix it. We don't have the power to overcome it, but you have overcome it on the cross. And so in vulnerability, we stand before you, maybe with our heads bowed, but with our arms out wide, knowing that through your son, Jesus Christ, you've given us freedom. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.